Christmas of 2019 is over. It's passed. The gifts have been unwrapped. The meal has been eaten. For many, the family has gone home and we're back to work. It's a shame, really. All the excitement, all the preparation, all the anticipation. Christmas was wonderful. At least for Christina and me, it was wonderful. And I trust for most of you, it was as well. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. And it's just that. Why does it have to end? Why can't we just have Christmas all year long? Why can't we just keep on having Christmas, at least for a little while? I'd love to see the tree and the decorations and the lights. You know, if it were up to my wife, I think we would leave the Christmas tree up just all, all year. You know, just never take it down. In fact, over at her restaurant, Christina's Kitchen, that's what she did. Uh, we got a Christmas tree the first, uh, the first year, about, you know, when everyone gets Christmas trees, October or something like that. And uh, we put it up, and then it stayed up until January. And I think one of the customers said, well, it's really pretty in that corner anyway. And uh, so it's never come down. It's just stayed up. It gets different de- decorations. So it's not really a Christmas tree in July. You know, we put flags and different things on it, different seasons. But it stays up all year. But uh, it, it does seem kind of a shame uh, to take everything down. And it's just kind of dreary during the wintertime. Uh, I think one of the worst things that ever happened to my wife one year, uh, right after Christmas, like we usually go to GYC, we were traveling over New Year's, and we had the Christmas tree up, and, and her, her mom, trying to be just, just as helpful as, as she could, she came over to, over New Year's and took the Christmas tree down for us. Well, we got back, and she was just so disappointed. Christmas was gone, and we'd hardly had the tree up long enough to enjoy it. Now, of course, I'm sure not everyone would be pleased at the idea of having Christmas all year long. Um, Honestly, I tend to be the one, after a few months of saying, you know, the Christmas tree is, you know, probably not, doesn't need to stay up all year long, but, you know, it is what it is. I get it, you know, really. Because in our culture, Christmas has come to represent so much that is near and dear to our hearts, like like no other holiday really does. It's really a time to stop what we're doing, a time to relax, a time to spend time with our family, a time to reconnect with one another in ways that we don't normally do any other time of the year. And yes, the materialism, the commerce, the make-believe, the false gospel of Santa Claus, you've heard me railing on all that before. But if you put aside all of that, there's something in our hearts that longs for Christmas. You know, my brother recently got a job uh, driving a, a flatbed truck. He's driving over the road, and since he started several months ago, he had not been home once until this last week. And we were longing and praying that he could finally somehow make it home for Christmas. And Christmas Day, he rolled in, and we had Christmas dinner together, and he was able to spend a couple days uh, with the family there. And we're so glad to, to see him. Even Thanksgiving Day, I mean, he was stuck out on the road, Thanksgiving Day, and, and what, a, what a shame. He called us, and we, we felt so bad for him uh, that he couldn't be home on Thanksgiving. But at least he was home for Christmas. You know, we sing songs about being home for Christmas. If there's one holiday of the year that we want to be home, it's Christmas time. You know, I feel sorriest, probably, for the people who have to work on Christmas, If you go through town, it's like a ghost town, Christmas Day. 
There's been a time or two Christina and I have been traveling on Christmas. It's hard even to, to buy gas on the interstate if you're driving on Christmas Day because even some of the gas stations and service stations are closed on Christmas Day. Even Walmart, the store that never closes, is closed on Christmas Day. I hope you got your Christmas shopping done before 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve because the store is closed because the people who work in Walmart want to go home for Christmas. Unless you work in a hospital or you know, some kind of critical services or something like that, chances are if you work, you've got Christmas Day off. Even if you're not guaranteed another day all year, chances are you've got Christmas Day off. There's something almost sacred about the hours of Christmas. And what would we think of the businessman who chooses to spend Christmas Day in the office rather than coming home to his family? Certainly, either he must be doing something very, very, very important, or else maybe he has no family at all, or else he is akin to the Grinch himself. And it's not just Christmas Day, but at least in our family, Christmas Eve, it seems, is the most magical time of the whole Christmas season. When it's dark outside, you can see the Christmas lights and imagine, this year we had to use a lot of imagination, but imagine the snowflakes drifting down from a cloudless, dark sky. Perhaps it's the best part of Christmas. You can't help but wish you could keep that spirit of Christmas all year long. And we feel this way, many of us, despite the fact that Christmas is really a man-made holiday. I mean, it's not that we don't celebrate Jesus' birth on Christmas, but the way, the way it is, the date, the way, it, by and large, it's a man-made holiday, all of the traditions around it. You don't find anything in the Bible that mandates the keeping of Christmas. But have you ever considered that God himself is the author of something far better than Christmas. What would it be like to have Christmas all year long? A Christmas that we plan for and get prepared for, get in the spirit of every single week. A special holiday that brings us together as families and draws us to God not like nothing else in the world can. My friends, God has given us exactly that. Since the very dawning of creation, God has consecrated for us, for humankind, a day, a memorial in time, a special day of rest, a day for communion with him. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Chances are you know these verses well. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. The Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, if you will, is as it were the real Christmas that comes not once in a year, but once a week, every seven days, wintertime, summertime, 
springtime, fall time, it comes again and again and again. God reiterates this command in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Sure, but Jesus might say, but what really does the Sabbath have to do with Christmas? More than you might think, actually. Because in our culture's observance of Christmas, I believe we've captured just a bit of the meaning and the purpose, perhaps, that God originally intended behind the Sabbath day. You know, I have a lot of people ask me, Pastor, what does it mean not to work on the Sabbath? I mean, what about this? Is it okay to do this on the Sabbath? Is it okay to do that on the Sabbath? What, what does the Bible really mean when it says, you shall not work on the Sabbath day? Now, we could probably write an encyclopedia of things that you can and cannot do on the Sabbath day. It wouldn't be out of the Bible. The Pharisees did that. They had all kinds of rules about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath day. But you know what's really funny to me? Is that when it comes to Christmas, people have no problem deciding what's okay or not okay to do on Christmas. Play along with me here. I want you to imagine this story. It's perhaps not a true story, but perhaps it is. Imagine this conversation on Christmas morning between a businessman and his wife. What? You're going to the office on Christmas Day? Yeah, I got to get that paper finished for the attorney to review next week. The work never stops, you know. But he said he could extend the deadline. What about the family? Honey, I've got to push forward. We've got bills to pay, you know. And maybe if I finish this project early, I can take another project on before spring. But what about Christmas dinner, honey? You know we've invited all the parents and the kids are expecting a big Christmas dinner and we've got all the food made. It'll be okay. Just send something in my lunch because all the fast food places are closed. Just send me something in my lunch. I'll see the kids tonight. I've got to run. And you're probably thinking, this guy has got issues, right? <coughs> Here he is, pulling out of the driveway on Christmas morning, going to the office, leaving his family, not even going to eat Christmas dinner with his family, and he's got his lunch in a pail to eat by himself in the office. And he'll probably be the only one in the office, because nobody else, you know, nobody else is going to be working in that office on Christmas Day. But do we ever act this way when it comes to Sabbath? You know, I've heard people, and I've done it myself. We might excuse it. God will understand. God knows I need to feed my family. And granted, I'll give you this. It is hard to keep the Sabbath sometimes in a world that doesn't understand. In the story that I made, it would be hard to imagine, even if the businessman hated his family, even if he was longing to escape from having to deal with the in-laws at Christmas dinner, if for no other reason he would stay home and eat Christmas dinner with his family because of the fact that when his co-workers come in the next day or the next week and find that he has worked the entire Christmas day in the office and left his family at home, they're going to be like, what gives, man? What are you up to? Why don't you spend Christmas with your family? There is so much social pressure that even if we care nothing for Christmas, we're still going to keep Christmas for everybody else, for our own reputation. 
if nothing else. Not a good reason for it, but a lot of people will do it. But when it comes to Sabbath, the social pressure goes the other way. Man, you're a legalist. You're a legalist. You've got to keep the seventh day of the week. You're going to stay away from work. What about your family? You see how the social pressure goes? But there's... I wonder. I wonder how God must feel. I wonder how God must feel when we trample on the sacred hours of the Sabbath. Imagine how the family of that man feels as they see him pulling out of the driveway on Christmas morning. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14. This is the promise that God gives to those who honor his Sabbath. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, and honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, or finding your own pleasure, or speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And we ask, what does it mean to turn away your foot from the Sabbath? Have you ever seen a garden that was trampled down by careless feet? That's what we do so often to God's Sabbath day. Just like someone who won't take off Christmas to spend time with the family. How many times do we plunge ahead doing things that are important while neglecting things that are essential? You know, Jesus taught us a simple lesson on priorities in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Turn over to the Gospel of Luke with me. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened, as as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You know, perhaps the same thing could be said of many of us. I know I've been guilty of that. Doing all kinds of important and good things and neglecting the one thing that is needful. That one thing is communion with our Heavenly Father. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from Him. Sure, there's plenty of time to be concerned with food, preparations, all the rest. But each and every every week comes a time that as much as possible we're to put aside our cares and to sit at the feet of Jesus and to spend that time with him, with our fellow believers, with our family, with our church family. 
You know, when Christmas season comes, we spend a month or two getting ready for the big day. It's not even so much about Christmas Day anymore as it is about the whole season. From Thanksgiving on. From Halloween on. Now it seems like no sooner has the summer, have the summer decorations come down than you go to the store and you see Christmas stuff. August, September, I mean, it's like half the year getting ready for Christmas for one day. And I wonder if perhaps that's not the way that God meant for the Sabbath to be. Because it comes every seven days, there's never a day of the week that we aren't thinking about and looking forward to and preparing for that Sabbath day. And Sunday, we do a little bit. And Monday, we do a little bit. Or Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And when Friday comes, we're nearly there. And we're putting the finishing touches. When the Sabbath hours come, when the sun sinks low in the horizon, we can put aside our work and stop and rest and commune with Jesus. Amen. Why don't we call the entire week Not Christmas season, but Sabbath season. From Sunday through Sabbath. And what do you suppose the best part of Christmas is? Is it waking up on Christmas morning and hearing the laughter and the stuffed stockings and the presents and the Christmas dinner? Sure, that's all special and important. But for me, the best part of Christmas was always Christmas Eve. When you could see the lights... And the snow came down and it seemed almost magical in anticipation of what we would have Christmas morning. And what is the best part of the Sabbath? Is it not Friday evening? That eve of the Sabbath? You know, it's funny. In our modern day calendars and everything, we figure that the day starts at midnight. Or maybe the morning, in the morning of the day and in the evening. But back... In Bible times, it wasn't that way. In in Genesis, we read in Genesis uh, chapter 1, God created the world. He said the morning, the evening and the morning were the first day. And the second day and so on and so forth. Everything started with the evening and then to the morning. The ceremonial Sabbaths, Leviticus 23, 32. The ceremonial Sabbaths were celebrated from evening until evening. It started in the evening. And we see that in the New Testament, the weekly Sabbath was kept beginning in the evening. We see that at Mark 132, Mark 1542. I'm not going to give you time to look up all those texts right now because we've got lunch coming. (laughs) But the Sabbath begins in the evening. And even the secular holidays that have been celebrated since antiquity, we start those in the evening. Even when we start nothing else in our modern calendars in the evening, we start Christmas on Christmas Eve. Isn't that interesting? Especially on Friday. Before the sun goes down, we want to make sure everything is in order. Ready for the Sabbath to come. Maybe we lay out our clothes for the next day. The meal is ready for Sabbath dinner. That's one thing we do a little bit different than Christmas. Christmas, oftentimes, we spend the whole day cooking. And it's fine, I suppose, because you're spending it with family and you're cooking it with family. But when it comes to the Sabbath, God didn't just make the Sabbath for us. He didn't just make it for our families. But he made it for us to commune with him. And as much as we can, 
if we can get that Sabbath dinner prepared beforehand. And it's not just a day of feasting, and we can have a, a, a good and a special Sabbath dinner, and we should. We should have something special every Sabbath. But it's not to be a day of feasting. And so when we keep the Sabbath, as the Bible describes, we do that preparation ahead of time so that when the Sabbath hours come, we can rest and we can commune with him. So the Sabbath dinner is ready and the house is clean. The church is ready for our fellowship. And as the sun goes down, our hearts open in worship to God in a way that we don't typically any other time of the week. You know, it talks about, in the book of Genesis, how God would come to commune with Adam and Eve in the garden. We see it in Genesis 3, in the fall, uh, after the fall of man, how they were fearful and they hid themselves from the presence of God. But this was not an uncommon occurrence. In fact, I would get the idea that God came every day to commune with them. And especially on the Sabbath day, he would come to commune with Adam and with Eve, walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. In the same way, I believe, on Friday evening, God, through his Holy Spirit, comes walking in our midst to commune with us. Are we receiving him? What else is so special about the Sabbath? Christmas, of course, is a celebration looking back to the birth of Jesus. But the Sabbath looks back even further, not to the birth of Christ, but to the birth of our world, to the creation of our world. But Sabbath has a second meaning, a double meaning. Because not only does it look back to the creation of the world, you find it in, De- in a Deuteronomy, a reference to it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, actually. We don't usually go to this uh, record of the Ten Commandments. We usually look at the one in Exodus chapter 20. But let's look at this one in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, you remember in Exodus 20, I didn't read the whole commandment earlier. Uh, For in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He points back to creation. But in, in Deuteronomy 5 verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall, days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, your male servant nor your female servant, nor your ox nor your donkey nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. This is is a side point, but it's important. Our Sabbath school lesson brought it out. The Sabbath isn't just so much for us as it is for everybody around us. Your servants, those who are doing work for you, it's for them to rest. You know on Christmas... We give presents. We give gifts to those we love. On the Sabbath, we give the gift of rest to those within our sphere of influence. So that not only do we rest, but everyone around us is able to rest as well. But anyway, this is I want, I'm getting to verse 15. What is the reason given in Deuteronomy that's different from Exodus? Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, the Sabbath looks back to creation, but it also looks back to something else, to deliverance, to redemption. Were you and I, were we ever slaves? Were we ever in bondage? Were we ever doomed to death? My friends, Jesus Christ came and lived on this earth, died 
and rose from the grave so that you and I might be delivered, not from Egypt, but from a fate far worse, from the fate of sin. And the Sabbath looks back to our deliverance, to what Jesus did and continues to do in each one of our lives. That is what the Sabbath is about. How do we know this? The writer of Hebrews describes the spiritual meaning of the Sabbath in Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, 3 and 4, actually. We won't read the whole passage. You can read it this afternoon if you're not familiar with it. Hebrews 3 and 4, but we're going to look at Hebrews 4, verses 8 and 10. The writer of Hebrews is describing the promise of rest that was given through Moses to the children of Israel, that they would enter the promised land and find rest. But that promise extended far beyond the time of Joshua. It extended far beyond the time of David and extended to Jesus Christ and to each one of us, his followers. Hebrews 4, 8 and 10. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has also ceased from his works as God did from his. My friends, this is the meaning of the Sabbath. It is a meaning of rest in a spiritual sense. How are we saved? Are we saved by our works? By what we do? By keeping the law? By doing penance? Is there anything in this world that we can do to merit or earn our salvation? My friends, you're Christians, you know the answer to this. No, No, absolutely not. We simply rest in the grace that Christ gives us through the merits of his cross. And because of his grace, we rest. Christians today, many Christians point to this passage and say, see, Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. We don't have to rest anymore. Huh? Does that make any sense at all? We don't have to rest anymore? What's the opposite of rest? You mean we've got to work all the time? No, we get to rest. It's not about have to rest. We get to rest. Thank you. We get to rest because of what Jesus has done. And we continue to keep the Sabbath because of him. Saying we don't have to keep the Sabbath, my friends, is about like that Scrooge of a husband I talked about who decided to spend Christmas in the office. Skip Christmas dinner with his family. Perhaps he would say, bah humbug, I don't need Christmas anymore. I know what Christmas is about now, so it doesn't really matter. I'll think about my family today while I'm working in the office. I've got a little picture of my wife next to my computer monitor. (laughs) I mean, it seems pretty extreme to have to spend the whole day of Christmas with them, doesn't it? I wouldn't want people to think I'm legalistic or something, keeping Christmas. (laughs) And we laugh at that. But aren't those the exact same arguments that people say, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. You, you can't keep the Sabbath anymore. It's for the Jews. It's, for, it's, it's gone. But if I try to tell you you can't keep Christmas anymore, I think a lot of us would be pretty sad. Of course, in the Christmas stories, and there are many Christmas stories of people just like this, and, and we hope and we long for, even as we start to read the story, we hope that somehow such people will come to realize the foolishness of saying, bah, humbug. But the broader Christian world takes this same attitude, not towards Christmas, but towards an institution of God that was meant to be a blessing all year long. 
Of course, at Christmas, we exchange presents with our loved ones and family. But on Sabbath, we enter the presence of God and receive from him the greatest gift that we could ever imagine. The gift of his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. In exchange, what do we give him? Our broken hearts, our sinful selves, but then to our fellow man, to our fellow mankind, we give the gift of his forgiveness. We share his love just as he has loved us. We love our fellow man just as he has forgiven us. So we extend that same spirit of forgiveness to those we come in contact with. And the best part is, it doesn't happen just once. It doesn't happen once a year. It happens every week. Just like Christmas, but all year long. For now and for ages to come. Because we read in Isaiah 66, 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, will all flesh come to worship before me, says the Lord. Shall we pray? Loving Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of the Sabbath rest, a celebration that comes every week, all year long. Help us, Lord, to enter into that experience, and may every week be the Sabbath season for us until you come again soon to take us home. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.